0: Thank you Welcome to the KI Prime podcast. I'm your host, Alina Jenkins, and in this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Meredith Young. Meredith is an associate professor in the Institute of Health Sciences Education at McGill University in Montreal. She earned her PhD in cognitive psychology from McMaster University, studying how individuals, both with and without medical expertise, think through a variety of complex problems in medicine. Her current work examines how problems get solved in health professions education and the assumptions that underpin what we think makes a good solution. In our earlier conversation, she explained how she explores this topic in three main areas. In general, my background
1: is in uh, cognitive psychology. So my PhD is focused around how people make sense of the world. And my research has evolved kind of along those dimensions. So I'm really interested in how people make decisions and what we think makes a good answer. So I've been investigating that in kind of three main areas, kind of how individual clinicians make decisions. So clinical reasoning, so how they choose treatments, how they diagnose patients and how they learn to do that effectively and what we think makes a good solution there. Um, I've also been interested in how we assess, so how we make decisions about competence or how good we think somebody is in a particular context. And again, what we think good looks like. And then more recently, I've also been looking at it in terms of what we think makes good science in a really neat interdisciplinary field like health professions education.
0: Can you give us some examples of what this research looks like and some of the things you've discovered? I
1: think, again, the, the theme that kind of bobbles through all three of those different areas is that I tend to really love a good paradox, Um, and I tend to like to think about kind of what our foundational assumptions are. So a little bit about what we think a good solution is and what we assume about performance or reasoning or what a good scholar is. Um, For some specific examples, I use all different kinds of different research methods. So I use some very classic experimental approaches. So asking people to participate in experiments and watching their behavior under different circumstances and how that might shift or change. And particularly how that influences our theories, or assumptions about performance. And I do everything all the way up to conceptual synthesis. So how different scholars and researchers talk about these different topics and where there's interesting areas of overlap, but also where there's areas of tension in terms of how we think through these different concepts or principles.
0: Something which has become very evident through speaking to all of the fellows for this podcast series is that the field of medical education is very open. It's very welcoming. There's great encouragement to look at things through a different lens. And I think that's a,
1: probably you got a real motley, well, knowing these individuals, you got a wonderful motley crew in terms of different approaches and different areas of interest. But I think one of the things that makes the field really, really interesting is that we're relatively new compared to other sciences. Right? physics has been around for a while. So it's kind of had its adolescence and figured out what it wants to be when it grows up. Where us as a field or a discipline, we're still developing that. And it is full of really amazing people who've kind of stumbled into the field. Most people don't even know the field exists before they start their research careers. So we spend a lot of time trying to understand each other because we have people in the community who come from English backgrounds, from statistics backgrounds, from anthropology, sociology. So probably more. True in our space than other spaces, we spend more time talking to each other and just trying to figure out, well, what does your science look like? What does my science look like? And if I think you're cool and have great conversations, can we find a way to, to merge the two and do some work together? So I think because we're such a new discipline and we're typically trained in all of these different spaces, disciplinary, so whether it's English or sociology or epidemiology or measurement, we're still young enough and small enough that we have to figure each other out. So it leads to m- probably more probably don't want to record this, but navel gazing than other places. But it also means that we tend to to cross disciplinary barriers more than in other spaces because we're not we're not bound by the names of our departments. We're bound by the problems that we find interesting. So in that space we're a bit we're a bit different than other places for sure.
0: You come from a background of cognitive psychology, but also statistics, neuroscience and assessment. So what led you down this particular path of medical education research?
1: It's a wonderful stumbling story. I started out originally in science, so pure basic sciences. I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't necessarily a good fit as soon as I got to the lab-based research. So as an undergrad, I swore off research entirely. It didn't suit. I went into the workforce for a little bit, worked as a research assistant, worked as a clinical coordinator, Saw some really neat things that I couldn't quite understand. So I was working in um, a psychiatric unit. So I couldn't quite understand how people took someone's complicated life story and put a diagnosis on it. And I just happened to be taking a night class and started to chatting with a professor. Um, and he found my questions interesting. And I found the fact that he didn't have an answer kind of vaguely irritating, <laughs> but also fascinating. <laughs> um, and we just started working together. So it was actually uh, with his guidance that I went to grad school and started investigating some of these things that were were itching at me during my work experience and that's how it led me into the phd in psych i didn't have a background in psychology um again steep learning curve but it was really stumbly and i kind of made a decision that i would stick with it so long as it was fun and i've managed to get a job out of it so that's pretty good
0: is that what makes it appealing that there's so many different tangents and you're constantly problem solving
1: Probably on most days, yes. On some days, it's a little intimidating. Because as as a researcher in a lot of other spaces, there's really, really clear linear pathways. And there's some people in health professions who have done these beautiful, clean, long lines of research, where the next step of the question is really, really clear, either because I have an entire smattering of interests, or I have a habit of more wandering pathways. I have found that on most days quite appealing. On some days, it's a little tricky to sit and have a very, very clean story describing what you do as a scholar. But I think I, I really enjoy the people. I really enjoy the fact that there's complex issues and a lot of people who are really interested in kind of leaning into them. So how do we decide someone's good enough to practice medicine alone for the rest of their lives? As a patient, when you think about it, it's a little scary. <laughs> but as a scholar, it just means there's kind of infinite places that you can sit and think and meet cool people
0: and do some neat science. How do you see your research fitting into medical education and perhaps competency-based medical education? That's a real good question,
1: but it depends on the day. So I I sometimes joke around just to be a bit of a rebel browser that I'm not directly I'm not an educator, right? I don't I don't teach medical students outside of kind of getting them to think about statistics and methods, which is nobody's favorite when you're trying to be something else. So I'm not directly an educator. I think how I fit into medical education is I participate a lot in terms of committees and policy setting groups and stuff like that. But I think the thing that's more aligned with my personality is I just kind of ask people, are you sure? Are you sure that's what you mean? Um, A lot of my research uh, thinks through the idea of unintended consequences. So if we make this policy decision, if we decide competence looks like decisive, right? Can make a quick, fast decision. If competent means decisive, what happens to the specialties in which that's not that important, right? Right. So places where relationships grow more slowly or problems are more complicated and multidimensional. If certainty and confidence is a marker of competent, then you're automatically setting certain people up to need to meet something that doesn't make sense to them. So for emergency medicine, that makes a ton of sense. You need someone to come in and say, this is the absolute urgent problem. This is what we're going to fix right away. But I think one of the things we accidentally do sometimes is think about medicine as a as a homogeneous field, that there are certain kinds of things that happen and that make you a good physician or a good nurse or a good occupational therapist. But we sometimes forget that the practice environments and the patients are so different that sometimes that adaptability makes sense. So I'm kind of just the irritating person in the background that says, you sure? Let's think (laughs) if we think this all the way through in all these different kind of branches, does that get us somewhere that we're not comfortable with? And then can we back that up and, and try and come up with a solution that meets the underlying intention without necessarily causing some unintended consequences that could
0: be not so fantastic. That's how good science works, though, isn't it? You need people who ask those awkward questions, who suggest an alternative point of view. Do you ever come up against a brick wall because you're the person pushing back? Well, and it
1: depends. And I think the thing that I'm also learning is when that's helpful and when that's not helpful. Um, And I think that's just something I'm trying to figure out as I'm awkwardly mature in the field, I guess. But I think, again, given the newness of the field, given the absolute well intention of everybody I've met in the field, I think for the most part it works well. And I'm not the only one who does it. There's a lot of really, really phenomenal thinkers in all aspects, both the practitioners, the scholars, the administrators, the policy developers. I think people are in the field because they care quite a bit. And because we're new enough, there's space for lots of different ways of thinking. So I think in most spaces, so long as everyone is also willing to problem solve around that or to think through. I don't think that it's been too, too challenging, although I'm not necessarily the recipient of my questions. So
0: I guess a lot of it is around a mindset shift for people trying to understand other points of view. What does clinical reasoning look like for you? And where are the challenges? You're full of really good questions.
1: (laughs) I think I well the interesting thing about clinical reasoning is it seems to be relatively universally believed to be the core of what it means to be a practitioner right so being able to walk into a clinic room and diagnose a problem or come up with a management strategy or tweak a treatment plan as a as a recipient of healthcare that's what we see right as almost the 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 mental magical miracle of being a healthcare practitioner and oftentimes that goes amazing and sometimes it doesn't the cocktail parties, I say what I do think, what I do at, sometimes I don't mention that part at all, because everyone has a terrible story, right, of where it didn't go well. So I think that also makes it a very high cost component of how we train people. Clinical reasoning at its core is kind of the, the thinking that healthcare providers do to solve a clinical problem. I think we can all agree on that. But again, being a in neat interdisciplinary field, there's lots of different theories, lots of different notions about what it is, how to measure it, and how best to teach it. So some of the stuff I'm muddling around in is trying to just map that out a little bit better so that we can be more deliberate about the choices we make about teaching and assessing this thing that we've decided is super, super important.
0: Perhaps a hard question, given everything you've told me, where are your next steps and where do you see your research taking you?
1: I think, no, it is a really good question. And it's something that the the fellowship was really fascinating to help me think through some of these dimensions as well. Because like I said, I've kind of engaged in this so long as it's fun. Not meaning it's not challenging, but so long as I'm enjoying it. So I think in the kind of three different areas that I'm mucking around with right now, there are some commonalities. And I think one of the components that goes across the clinical reasoning, the assessment and validity work, and now this kind of meta-scholarship, what it means to be a science or a scientist part, is working through my own thinking around the, the clarity of those concepts, right? They're, they're the things that we kind of decide are super important. And when we talk to each other, we all agree, right? In the same way that friendship is important, justice is important, honor is important. But then when we start to dig into, well, what does that mean for you? And in this particular context, what does justice look like? We might we might end up in very different spaces. So I think the, the work that I'm doing across those different dimensions are just trying to get my own understanding of other people's perspectives on that a bit more clear, because we all walk around with our very own understanding but until we kind of dig into what these concepts mean, there's not necessarily any tension. Some of those tensions can be super productive, and some of them not so much. But I think for me, in both kind of across the clinical reasoning work, across the assessment validity work, and the meta-scholarship, I'm kind of at this clarifying stage in my own thinking. And for some of those areas of my work, I know what's coming next. And other ones, I'm still trying to do that, that conceptual mapping exercise.
0: There are some common themes running through all of the work of the fellows, neuroscience, psychology, and also the idea of communication and language. And I wondered if this is an area which you focus on in your research.
1: I think that's a really fascinating synthesis that you've done. So well, well noticed. <laughs> well done. I think the easiest answer is yes. I'm I'm poorly equipped from a research perspective to be able to comment necessarily on the importance of language, but absolutely Even in some of the work that I've done in clinical reasoning, it's around kind of the way that people express themselves and the way that they're understood. So if someone's describing a symptom, um, how does that influence in terms of the person who's hearing it in terms of a diagnosis or a treatment plan or something like that? I think accidentally language has become a component of how I'm thinking about this. We make assumptions, mental shortcuts, when you say a word that you understand it the same way that I do. And in the last few years, as we've been digging into it, that has become fairly clear that that's not true. And some of the work that we're doing right now is to try and figure out kind of where those commonalities are. So what is the base assumption that if you say that word, we can agree on? And what are the distinctions that really matter in terms of either theoretical perspectives or the way that you assess or what's getting reflected in that assessment and turned into deciding whether you're competent or not? Where are the distinctions that are actually going to be either problematic or or quickly overrun by accident? So differences in terms of I'm sure speaking to Shifra, you guys talked about how feedback can be phrased very differently and kind of the secret messages that are in there. And same with kind of Nikki's work around basic science. If we use words that are familiar that people can map onto ways of thinking again, that kind of triggers that as as well. So I think I'm still figuring a little bit of that out and trying to figure out kind of what the base assumptions are that we can agree on and where those areas of tension, either productive or otherwise, are going to creep up in some of our core concepts.
0: We've spoken about clinical reasoning, and not so much about assessment and validation in HPE. What's the importance of this, and what are some of the challenges?
1: Yes, well, it's absolutely rife, right? In a way, we're going through a, a revitalization of how we teach, and and that often gets mixed up with also how we assess. So, things like competency-based medical education, at their core, are an education framework. It's centered on notions of development and feedback and improvement. And if you're really, really strong at something, you can kind of be done with it. And if you're not strong, you probably shouldn't be done with it. But in order to make those kinds of decisions about someone's education, they get all bound up in assessment. Are you strong enough in this area? Well, what does it mean to be strong enough? Well, you can do it three out of four times. Okay, well, is if the fourth time is easy and you don't get it, isn't that a problem? <laughs> so it's it just forces people to have conversations about Again, what competence looks like, what good enough looks like, and and you get into these exercises of, of making targets. And that's kind of what I find really interesting, because that forces people to put their values on the table. Is communicating more important than technical skills? Is the three out of four a good thing or a bad thing? And if it's, do people get to choose which ones they get assessed or do they not? So these these decision points, while they feel relatively innocuous when you put them all together, they get into value statements and they get into notions of fairness and equity, but fairness to who? Fairness to the future patients or fairness to the learners or fairness to the program or fairness to the governing bodies. So I think that the problems or the issues that are at play right now are really fascinating because they're kind of these peeking under the covers moments, whether purposely or accidentally. And that's why I find them really interesting, particularly when you start to think about these notions of unintended consequences.
0: And I guess the final question is, what was your experience of being part of the KI Prime Fellowship? Oh my goodness, it was amazing.
1: I didn't have a strong sense of what it would be heading into it, but I think that was also some of the fun. I don't know if this is going to be a good answer. It was kind of like nerd summer camp. Like It was fantastic. <laughs> um, I got to meet phenomenal people from all over the world uh, and see old friends at the same time. I got to dig into things that had kind of been rumbling around in my mind, but they're the things that you always kind of put at the side of the desk for when you have time and space. And the fellowship really forced some of that thinking and reflecting deeply about how I see problems in my research. And it's even spurned a little set of side projects to talk much more explicitly about the experience of doing science for people who haven't necessarily had the disciplinary training so one of my tiny little offshoots is the conversation around failed research and the important super important role that that plays in the progression of science and kind of normalize it because if you haven't grown up in science having a failed experiment can really stink as opposed to thinking about it just as part of the process and a really super important part of the process made new friends. Like it's totally nerd summer camp. It was fantastic. And I'm absolutely grateful and thankful for having been included in that opportunity.
0: Dr. Meredith Young. That's all for this episode. Next time we'll be hearing from Dr. Shifra Ginsburg and her research, which investigates how clinical supervisors conceptualize, assess, and communicate about the performance and competence of their learners. I hope you can join me then.